Let me tell you a little something about LA. I love it! All right, Danny, here we go. We're on the ruckus. One, two, three, here we go. Buenas noches, Los Angeles! It is time for the ruckus. We are back. It is pitch dark outside, uh, but I'm still wearing my shades because um, that's my thing. And uh, we're excited to be here once again, man, on the eve of election 2020. We have today a friend and a comrade, uh, someone that uh, I spent uh, a good deal of time with at the beginning of the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, He and I uh, had uh, the chance to spend a little bit of time in downtown Los Angeles, which was awesome. I hope to do it again. With us today is the National States Director for the Bernie Sanders 2020 presidential campaign, Robert Dempsey. Welcome to the ruckus, brother. Thank you very much, my friends. It's great to see you. Great to <laughs> be with you see, again. Good to see you too, man. It's You got a new, a fresh new haircut and and you're still on the East Coast, though. You said you were coming back to the best coast. Yeah, you oh, know, um, there's a lot of important work to be done this election cycle. And, uh, you know, between, between wanting to be involved here in the District of Columbia and the, th- the goings-on, of Washington, um, but then also with the COVID, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I, I like a lot of Americans probably put our, um, our plans on hold, you know, just uh, want, wanting to make sure that um, we elect uh, a good Democrat in the office of president <laughs> and get rid of this person that's currently there. Um, but then also, you know, like, so let's get this, uh, COVID thing taken care of so we can all get about our lives again. Um, so as soon as, uh, as soon as we wrap this up, you know, uh, I, I definitely plan on, on going back out West. Well, dude, we are totally indebted to the work that you're, I mean, to you and the work that you're doing out there. Um, I mean, I think like a lot of us feel that we have a, just a little bit of, uh, a part in changing the direction of like locally our communities but ultimately it's like the butterfly effect right like we're 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 making waves across the national sphere and something i tell lewis all the time it's like man you know i just have to take a step back and think about where we are in this time, what we're doing. I mean, yes, there's a lot of negativity and a lot of bad stuff going on. And this, this guy in the white house is, is, is making it worse. But at the end of the day, like, look where we're at, man. The three of us were on, we were on the Bernie Sanders campaign and it was, it was an amazing ride, bro. I I can't say enough how, um, how happy I am that we met and we became friends and we're going to be at Manos for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. You know it, you know, absolutely. Yeah. You know, as we were thinking about um, the sort of conceptualizing this podcast uh, at first, it was just going to be me and Danny having conversations with each other because of, uh, you know, we're good friends. We live down the road from each other, but COVID has sort of separated us and we are on the phone constantly about (laughs) the campaigns that we're running. uh, A lot of the cheese may in the campaigns that we're running and we've wasted so many, 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 many hours without um, uh, recording what we were saying or memorializing what we were saying. We're, and we're so, like, don't forget, that's a good one for the next chapter. <laughs> exactly. Or for the next chapter of our book, we used to say, oh, here's a chapter in the book. Yeah. But as, 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 you know, COVID sort of forced us to find new ways to communicate. And uh, we were already accustomed to the 21st century tools that we were using on Bernie 2020. Uh, we were doing and organizing to great effect uh, virtually. And then we decided, why not just do this, stay connected this way? And then it trans transitioned to let's talk to our friends on this campaign, the subject matter experts who took part in one of the most contentious and dynamic presidential primaries in history. And I you had to be on that list to talk to pre um before the general, on this case, on the eve of the general. And I remember what you said to me before you um, went to D.C. You said, Lewis, there are about 300 people in this country who can do what you who can do what you do. I don't know if you remember this conversation we had, Robert. I never even thought of it that way. Because we're, you know, Danny and I have always been working on these small races. Like currently we have four races that we're on. You know, one's a major LA, um, um, Los Angeles District Attorney and County Board of Supervisors race. 
But when you do the math for, the, for what we do relative to the general population, we're like astronauts to a certain degree. Right. Um, and, um, but when you, when you put it in that perspective, first time I ever thought of that. And I, and I, wanna, I, I wanna thank you for putting me in that exclusive, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, exclusives, not, you know, as PC, but my point being is for putting me in that category amongst the greats like you guys. Um, so anyway, but welcome to the, to the ruckus, uh, you know, sorry for that long winded, uh, uh, thanks to you. You but, must uh, really like them because that was a pretty long uh, intro piece for you there, Lewis. I know, I know. I, I just, <laughs> I never forgot that. I, br- I bring that up to my children. I bring that up to my, to my wife. I say that to myself often. That one thing you said to me resonated that much that I think about that and the responsibility that that carries. Yeah. You yeah. Know, to be competent and know what you're doing and to be that few to do that. We have a big responsibility. Um, and, and we all got here because of our trajectory like there's no other way that we would have gotten here if we wouldn't have experienced what we experienced i want to talk to you about that robert we spoke a little bit uh it it, you know outside of city hall that one evening we were having a a drink and uh and it was it was so cool to get to know you brother but i want our listeners to get to know you a little bit tell us where you come from um a little bit about how you got woke and, and then ultimately how you got on the Bernie Sanders campaign, which is where our lives all converged. Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about that. I mean, you know, I think it's important for everyone to recognize what their origin story is. You know, superhero movies are, are you know, some of the biggest things now. And, you know, we all, we all know where this one comes from, where Batman or Wolverine comes from. And I think it's important for everyone to understand how – they see the world and why they see the world, you know? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm the ninth of 11 children um, from Buffalo, New York. <laughs> you know, uh, we all, we didn't have a lot growing up, like lower middle class, you know, the economy sort of went south for um, building a construction trades in a place like Buffalo in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and that had a lot to do with the economic policies that we pursued collectively as a nation. Um, and, uh, for one reason or another, I just was able to connect the dots and just see that, you know, there, there were people in power that weren't necessarily acting in the interests of, uh, more of Americans. I'll just say of Americans, you know, they, 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 they definitely had their, uh, their favorites, so to speak. So, you know, uh, again, a place like Buffalo that, um, thankfully now is a little bit, uh, on the rise, a little bit of a better trajectory, but, you know, when I was growing up, there are all these great, huge manufacturing plants uh, littered throughout the city that were just that were recently having been vacated. Um, you know, Trico uh, wiper blades is a is a brand of wiper blades I think everyone's familiar with. Their headquarters used to be in Buffalo. There's a big factory right in the heart of downtown that is now, of course, luxury apartments for yuppies um, if they even exist in a place like Buffalo. But um, but you know, like it sat vacant for a long time. So that's that's where I come from. You know. Um, most, uh, if uh, nine of my 10 brothers and sisters and myself, we all put ourselves through Catholic high school. We had to pay for it ourselves. That was something our, our parents valued and, and instilled those values in us. And, you know, more the progressive Catholicism, um, you know, uh, and I'm happy to see things like the Pope just coming out in favor of civil unions. I'd love to see him take another step um, and actually condone uh, or recognize marriage. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll get there. And um, so, you know, like just for me, it, it was about that sense of community, sense of giving back, sense of, of me owing something to uh, not just my family insofar as like the people I'm related to, but our family as Americans, our family as humans, you know, humanity. Um, so my journey started, uh, you know, about 25 years ago, um, just doing internships and local stuff and local campaigns. And, you know, uh, the funny thing, it was... Um, it was easier for me to get a congressional internship than it was to do an internship at the County Democratic Party, um, which is funny. Like that's actually what launched me into this trajectory as opposed to just like staying local and like working for a local guy because I, I couldn't, I couldn't get, literally I couldn't put my feet in the door of the, of the Erie County Democratic Party. Um, and so it was easier for me to get a job in DC 
And one thing led to another, and then I worked on a campaign, and then another and another. Um, and I first worked for uh, Senator Sanders about nine years ago after I'd been the executive director of the Vermont Democratic Party. So I got to know him and his team. Uh, and I worked for him in his Senate office for about six months. Uh, then I moved back, you know, and then, you know, as uh, as us campaigners uh, often do, I I had my chance at a government job in a normal life, but I said, screw this. I got to, I'm a dog that likes to hunt. And uh, I went out and ran a congressional campaign in San Diego. So um, I was on the Bernie 2016 campaign, was a state director in Minnesota, Wisconsin, New Jersey, uh, winning two of my three states by double digits. Um, and then uh, just did some more work out in California, flipping uh, house seats. Uh, we flipped, uh, I, I ran a congressional at the end of 16 was ended up being the closest house race in the country. Um, and then I ran the congressional program for the California Democratic Party, uh, where we flipped seven seats. Um, and then, you know. And that was including those ones in Orange County and that's right. Antelope Valley and all that, right? Damn. That's exactly right. Yep, all, all those seats. Um, so I ran the program that flipped them. You know, working with our partners uh, in the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. But um, uh, and then uh, was lucky enough to get picked up by Bernie again, was going to do some work in California. But the way life happens, the way careers happen, I mean, you know, um, people always want to know, like, what makes you successful in politics? And I think it's having ambition, but also being open to opportunities as they present themselves, you know, like none of us really knows, um, you know, we could be doing X one day and Y the next, you know, the, the other. Um, and you just have to be open to those opportunities. And, you know, for and a me, little crazy. What's that? And a little crazy. Oh yeah. You have to be absolutely insane. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> Man, that, I mean, working in, on different campaigns myself. And I, t I think I told you this when we first met, um, you know, back in 2019, that all the campaigns I worked on have been local, primarily right. in my backyard, like with the local council members, with the local supervisor, with the local congressional, you know, congressional representatives. Like I've literally worked for both congressional representatives that represent all of the east side in Los Angeles. Yeah. So like Jimmy Gomez Northeast and parts of East LA and Lucio Royball Allard with all of the, the rest of the east side and southeast Los Angeles cities. Um, but it's always, you know, and, and I have three kids and been married for a while now. And that's one of the reasons why I've stayed local. But to do some of the stuff you did, man, that's what I mean about being crazy. Like you literally have, I, weren't you living like, in the in your van for a while while you were traveling from one state to another uh you know i can't really get a hotel room but uh not a van but my ford escape uh, which i you know pretty much bought the this is my third escape and i keep buying them because i love the name because it pretty much ah. it up. yeah yeah you know, it usually takes me a day or two to get support or housing. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that. Well, I had a similar, you know, similar experience. I had difficulty getting into um, to uh, with electeds or on campaigns. And uh, what my entry was through SEIU, through labor. Um, I had an opportunity to um, participate in an organizing campaign for security officers to get their first contract in the city of Los Angeles. And from there, there was a political director at local 1877, which now is USWW, SEIU. And every chance I got, I asked for training, for uh, you know, statewide director training, political training. And one day, I ended up going to another local, local 521 in San Jose. And this email came up and it said, uh, do you want to go to the DCCC and learn how to be a statewide campaign director? You know, that type of thing. And I thought, there's no way they're going to send me because I was junior on the seniority list. Yeah. But no one asked. And I said, I'd like to go. And they said, what? Okay, go down to a county. They'll, they'll cut you, a ch you know, uh, your travel expenses and all that. They put me on the plane the next day. I told my wife, I'm going to D.C. I spent like three weeks there, two and a half, almost three weeks. They took care of everything. And I was involved in the DCCC training program. Then another training came up and it was Paul Wellstone's Academy. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with that? Uh, oh, very much Robert? so, yes. Yeah. And no one wanted to do it, Danny. Mm. And I said, I'll do it. 
they said, okay, go. They sent me to Paul Wellstone. And then from there, you know, I, I got myself into smaller races and so on. And then, then Danny and I, and the, you know, we meet and do our thing, but very similar, um, you know, the, the hustle of it. So from there, I, I did campaigns in from Salinas to Philadelphia to New York, you know, and so on. So I, I was on that little crazy grind, um, sleeping um, literally one time waiting for supporter housing, Danny. I got on a bus at Penn Station and took it all the way to Jersey or whatever the longest distance was, Robert, so I could sleep on the bus <laughs> and then took it back. So I'd have, cause I couldn't afford a hotel. Jeez. Yeah. You know, so anyway. But, no, but, go um, ahead, Danny. Yep. Yeah. I'll get more than Robert. Stories. <laughs> hey, and we can, and we definitely have a lot. We we should, we'll do one episode on just like war stories from different campaigns. Oh yeah, the uh, we'll have like a bunch of people on. Yeah, <laughs> but Robert, one of the things that I I love to dig into with with our um with our guests is, you know, I, I I'm I'm a, I'm about family. I always want to know what makes people tick. Um, Man, you come from a huge family. Um, my mom only had myself, my brother, and my sister, who was 15 years younger than me. So 13 years after my brother was born, then my sister came. We were the anomaly. My mm -hmm. mom has uh, nine siblings. Yeah. And they all have big, you know, families, except for the last, like, two or three of the siblings. Everybody had, like, six, seven, eight, ten kids in the family. And one of the things that has dr has driven me into uh, or fueled my drive for advocacy is, you know, the the, the hardworking families in our community, uh, the immigrant families in our community, and then and then just people in our community that need a voice, and. Some of the things that I, I think you and I had talked about and we related with each other is just the struggle that our families went through. I, I know that you're, um, you know, that, um, you know, your family was, uh, you know, blue collar workers and, you know, they did a lot of that work. You, you feel like that's part of like your journey that, that allowed you to um, just see what was needed in this world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to you're in your situation in life. Uh, you know, you can you can only control how you feel about it, how you see it, how you interpret it, and what you're going to do about it. So, if, you know, for me, it was just seeing um, the way that uh, you know what we had to go through to survive as a family unit. You know, in the late '70s, early '80s, uh, and then seeing that struggle in other communities. So for me, it's like, like it's constantly seeing it played over and over and over again. And one of the things from my vantage point that can tend to be a little disheartening or even heartbreaking is when I see people that um, maybe are a generation or two removed from that struggle. Uh, maybe my, some of my brothers and sisters even, or cousins, or just people I grew up with uh, that had similar experiences, but then they made it for one reason or another, you know, not least of which is a lot of these people I'm referring to are, are white and have certain advantages um, that other, other groups of people just don't have. And so you see that and, and you see that advancement. Uh, and then there's a forgetting of the struggle that, you know, our parent that we went through, the parents went through, even the grandparents, you know. Um, uh, and then, and then, what's interesting too, and I'd like to actually learn more about it. So I, I don't want to speak as a, as if I'm an expert, but now we're starting to realize, or you know, scientists um, who can be trusted and should be trusted, scientists should be trusted. Um, uh, you know, like like concepts that like trauma can be embedded in brains and actually carried in people's DNA. So it's like. You know, and then you and then you just really get in like you get into it, like the trauma we're causing now and how that is compounding on trauma of a hundred, two hundred years ago, four hundred years ago, and just like you know, and then it's like these people, like folks just like, Oh, well, you know, I I was able to advance. Like, yeah, well, you also had the opportunity to go to college. You were able to graduate debt free, you were able to do this, you you had all these advantages. You know, it's um it always reminds me of like like uh, you saw those signs 10 years ago in the fight over Obamacare, uh, keep your government hands off my Medicare. It's like, that's a government program, like, like that disassociation. So, 
you know, like for me, it's, it's, it's not just like working for everyone's betterment to make sure that everyone is empowered and that we all have opportunities um, and able to pursue and the ability to pursue them. But it's also like reminding people that have forgotten that, you know, um, you, you know, no one really does anything on their own. You know, there's always like, even if it's intrinsic behind the scenes money or behind the scenes forces, you know, again, like I'm always just, I marvel at people that were born into wealth that talk about how they're self-made, you know, <laughs> or, like, or that no one, or how about no one wants to be given anything <laughs> yeah. by, by the Trump family, right? They're like, all saying no one wants that. Americans don't want to be given anything. No, but you just woke up one day and you had millions of dollars in your savings account. <laughs> right. yeah. so, but look, you know, that... Uh, no, I, I wanted to. Say, I wanted to relate that. Yeah, sorry, Louis. Go. You that's can okay. go ahead. But I was what just I say, I'm also to relate struck, that with. But I'm also struck, Robert, how much we all have in common, or the majority of us that, do have in common. Exactly. That are. Right. Oh, is that what you're going to say, Danny? That our that our struggles are very similar. I even you know say that to my kids. You know, like, yeah, like. We're in lockdown right now. We have to be very careful, but so do your neighbors. So do, you know, other folks are, it's a little tight right now. I can't get that PS4, you know, or something like that. Right. You know? um, we're not the only ones. Um, and then that's what my, being in politics and labor has, has shown me. Um, if you just open your eyes, you'll see that a lot of folks are, are in the same boat. You know? Well, it's that finding that commonality, that common ground, you know, that you, there was always that, um, that great adage about how uh, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan would fight each other um, during the day. And then Tip would go down to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and have a scotch with Dutch, right? Like, and that just doesn't happen anymore. I, my, my first internship here in Washington, D.C. was in the summer of 1997. And why that's significant is because that's right, right before the Lewinsky thing broke uh, with President Clinton. And um you know, I remember as an intern, you know, you'd save up your, your pennies or, or, you know, like, like you'd tip into your savings or just on your credit card, you'd have enough to like buy like a pint of Guinness and you'd go down to, um, you know, the Irish times or the Dubliner or something. And one time we were in the Dubliner having one of those pints and in walked Newt Gingrich and a couple of moderate Republicans and a couple of moderate Democrats. And they sat and they had a pint together. Uh, you don't see that in this town anymore. You know, but it, clearly I'm talking about pre-COVID, but like you don't see members of Congress like of different parties rolling into a pub and having a having a drink. It just doesn't happen. And it's and, and that's what we've forgotten, because, again, it, it's that commonality. Like we as Americans, what unites us? And we unfortunately now, um, for a couple of different reasons, focus on what divides us. Sometimes it's good to recognize your differences, um, but it's not productive if you don't say, well, here's my perspective. I respect yours. Um, here's how they're different. Here's how they're the same. And let's, let's focus on how we can move forward together that, you know, we all get a little bit of something, you know, we all get closer to what it is we want. You know, may, maybe not everyone wins. Um, you know, that's a, maybe a little too idealistic, but, you know, it sure would be nice if we all got a little closer to what it is we wanted. Absolutely, man. That's what we all strive for is to allow everyone that pursuit of ha you know of happiness to be able to get a yep. little piece for themselves <clears throat> which you know which is you know if if there are certain measures put in place certain leaders put in place certain uh, aspects of our government <clears throat> to bring balance to our communities that that's what we're all trying to do like i i don't understand when 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 you're trying to explain to someone that the only reason why you want certain laws to pass or certain leaders to be elected is because we want to better your quality of life. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what, why are you arguing with me? I'm just trying to make things better, help make things better for you. And, and look, I mean, I'm, I'm joking about it, but that's really what Lewis and I talked about that brought us to Bernie, like our trajectory, our two decades, over two decades each of work in our community, in labor, within government, with candidates and on campaigns, it literally prepared us for that opportunity to join you and the rest of the California team on this adventure that we went on for, for about 10, almost 10 months. Yeah. Um, and so 
talk to us a little bit about what your role was, because initially, you know, you and I were part of that first wave of uh, area directors. But and at that point, I didn't know your history with the Bernie's with Bernie Sanders. Um, But then, you know, you got, you know, they pulled you to national and they said, we need you up here. We need your skills. We need your knowledge, which I was totally excited about for you. But, but Shelly and I were mad at you because you left <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, you guys were actually were pretty bad at me. And uh, <laughs> I was upset for leaving. You know, as I, as I said before, I, I spent the past couple of cycles at that point out in California, uh, congressional in 12, another one in 16, and then in state hung around in 18. And so... Um, I didn't want to leave, man. It's California. <laughs> I just said, I'm from Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Like, let me live yeah. in California for a couple of years, for God's sakes. <laughs> what did the National States Director do? I mean, we I, I know a little bit of it, but I want you to tell, Absolutely. tell our folks. Yeah. So basically, what my job was, uh, was to specifically to work with the state directors on their operations. So working with them, some had already drafted and submitted budgets. I had them approved. So it was actually the execution of them, uh, making sure that uh, they were on track on budget, um, you know, dealing with any uh, issues with the collective bargaining agreement with the staff. So working with the the state leadership team to mitigate that. Um, And then uh, addressing any issues that the state staff saw uh, or were having with the national. And, you know, I've, in my in my 20 years of doing this, I, I have been fortunate enough to be like, this is now my second presidential. Um, but in the other the other years in 2000, 2004, 2008, and, and then uh, I was I was either working in a state on a targeted congressional race or a targeted state rep race um, in a place like Philadelphia in, in Ohio. So, you know, like I was interacting with the presidential. So you see it, you're around it. Like you have friends, like you make friends that are on these campaigns and you hear their horror stories, but you know, you're working for the member of Congress, you're working at the DCCC. So you don't necessarily like you see it. Um, And so, you know, what I think that I was able to bring um, that, uh, I'm, I'm really quite proud of is that integration where when a state director said, Hey, I'm having an issue with a department. Um, and you know, issues arise, you know, things happen. Uh, we're trying to lock down these endorsements or, or what have you. I was then able to work with the, those departmental directors for that, um, for that synergy so that there was really like, you know, making sure that we were all rowing in the same direction. And, you know, sometimes it was like a simple conversation. Sometimes it was something more structural, um, you know, I, uh, I, I am immediately reminded of the, um, uh, the time card issue and, and folks feeling like uh, they were being treated unfairly because uh, the amount that they were working uh, was more or less going against uh, what it was our common, our core beliefs are as Bernie uh, and, and folks that, that are part of this movement about $15 an hour. So we worked with the union to make sure like, hey, okay, uh, $15 an hour, what, you're, what these folks are being paid on a salary monthly, uh, that equals about 52, 53 hours or so. And so we're just going to limit everyone to that. And, you know, folks want, if they wanted to work more, you know, the nature of campaign work can sometimes mean that, you know, I've definitely put in my fair share uh, beyond my fair share of hundred hour weeks. So, you know, that's just, that is the nature of campaign work, but you know, in an attempt to live our values, we worked with the union, we worked with the leadership uh, to make sure that, that we honored that and, and we held true to that value. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, in a lot of ways, it was a catch all position just, but making sure that those operations in the States ran smoothly. Um, and then if there are any concerns, like any budgetary increases and, working through the, you know, we had a couple um, uh, uh, ramping up, um, scaling up, as the kids like to say, in staff. So making sure that, you know, when we did that, and then also um, I had a leadership role on the redeployment, um, you know, just working with our state staffs to assess, assess the current staff and who would be a good fit in what state and then the logistics of getting them there. So again, just sort of like anything that really had to do with the states, I was pretty intimately involved in. You know, I found... Um um, I had never, again, I came from labor. I believe in collective bargaining, but I had never ever worked on a campaign that had, um, a memo of understanding or a contract. Um, and, um, I found that unique. Um, Robert, is it, was it the first campaign 
um, whether it was state or, or, or local that you've ever worked on that had that number one? And surely is it the first presidential campaign that ever had uh, a bargaining unit? Yeah, the answer to that, to both questions is yes. So yeah. I, I have never, that always, that's always been a conversation. I mean, that, that's a conversation that dates back to at least when I got involved. You know, my first campaign was in 1999, and I remember talk about it, uh, unionizing back then. Um, but I, it, it, it just, no one ever got around to it. And yes, we were the first presidential campaign, um, to, to actually, uh, ratify, uh, a contract. So pretty proud of that one too. Yeah. Yeah. And it says a lot, it speaks a lot to the values of the campaign, but on the other side of that, as a director and as a manager, it did present interestingly enough. And again, pro labor guy here, but I was, I'm personally not, was not personally accustomed to, uh, working within uh, the guide rails or the parameters of an, of an agreement. But I think um, I wasn't in the bargaining unit, but what I mean is normally like even organizers, you know, canvassers, um, there's a lot of hustle dynamic to what we do in the sense that um, a lot of folks are, are not accustomed to clocking in and clocking out or sticking within that collective bargaining. Um, so that <laughs> was interesting. I, I learned what the term self-care <laughs> meant on the Bernie campaign. <laughs> right. Yeah, you'll have to teach me what that means because I, I still don't think I understand and that concept. That's exactly what Lewis is referring to, the hustle. Yeah. yeah. I, I never, you know, we're talking, like, for example, even on this campaign, one of the reasons I asked for 10 more minutes is we were just finishing up um, um, now clearly about one point. 3 million calls for George Gascon, who's running for district attorney and, and Holly Mitchell um, here in uh, Los Angeles and two other races that we're working on locally, a mayor's race and a city council race all the while doing all of this other stuff. So Danny and I are literally putting in six from six in the morning to 11 at night, you know, that type of thing. We so, have pictures to prove it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Not that. but I totally understand the need for it, but at the same time, the nature of campaigning, you know, the, the word campaign, it just feels like you're fighting to the end. Um, and I never thought ever of, um, of, of doing an eight hour shift. I, I never, I, I never experienced that at all in my entire experience from a subordinate, you know, from a junior organizer onto whatever we were doing, you know, so. But, well, you know, it, yeah. it, it, I, I think, and not across the board. It wasn't certainly wasn't ubiquitous. Some people rose to the occasion. Some people would quote unquote volunteer their time, uh, knowing that they, that's what they were doing, um, and help out uh, just to, to expand their own personal capacity. But you know what? What I what I generally saw across the states, and again, maybe uh, I don't. I don't think you saw anything different in Los Angeles, um, but in the other, you know, throughout the the states I was working uh, with the state directors condensing the work week and actually making folks prioritize themselves had an added benefit of a, when they were in the office, they were more engaged. So they worked harder. Um, and that's always been an adage, you know, like, like I've known plenty of people and I, God knows I'm no stranger to being in a campaign office at four o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, uh, but how productive was I? Cause I had already, you know, cause I, cause I was going on hour 20 of being there and you know, like you think you're being productive, but really you just stared at an Excel spreadsheet for 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. like, so, so without having like that prod of saying, go home, get sleep. Like I, if you get six hours of sleep, the, 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 the 15 hours you're going to put in tomorrow or 10 or 12 um, will be so much more productive than, than the 17 or 18 that we kind of are accustomed to. And that, that, yeah, that's how we're, that, that was the business. That's what we, that's just what you do. But I think that we sort of learned from that, that if we just structured our time better, you know, cause there's always that downtime, especially in field, you know, it's like uh, you roll in at 10, 10 o'clock. Yeah. But you don't get on the phone until 11. So what are you doing that first hour and a half? So my thing is, you know what I, I used to try to do stuff like this and encourage my staff like in the, especially the field staff in the middle of the week on a Wednesday, don't come in until like three, don't come in until the evening. Like don't schedule any activity and then don't come in until three o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday, go see a movie, go do your shopping, go, go 
wash your clothes. <laughs> For God's sakes, do yeah, laundry. Don't, don't come in with the same T-shirt uh, exactly. the whole week, especially right. after a hot summer camp missing. But Robert, that's an excellent point because in looking at that in that from that perspective, there was it was more productive, right, Danny? We did yeah. once we were in those guide yeah. rails. So, but yeah, I think that you know we were able. People were, were, would come in fresher. Um, they they had a beginning, middle, and an end to their day, yeah. uh, where they knew what they had to do and so on. So, and we were able to actually um, set goals and expectations within those. Um, Remember, Danny, I said there's two sides to a contract. You know, yeah. there's, you know, what there's, you know, the management side also, and we should operate within those guidelines. And uh, yeah, so I do think that there's, that, that was a positive benefit to it. So, you know, for me, it always comes down to uh, a campaign. A campaign is all about managing your resource. It's all about resource allocation mm-hmm. and, you know, time, talent, energy, the biggest resource, uh, the most valuable resource is time because that's the only one that's not renewable. And again, you know, fine, you, you spent 90 hours in the office, but you spent how many hours frittering away, you know, watching, watching, watching the football game because gosh, I'm working all the time. I can't even watch the football game. You know, it's like, well, then go home and watch it and chill out and relax and come back tomorrow with your head on. Right. And so I think it forced us to be as managers to be more judicious and precise with the directive that we were providing the folks we were managing, because, you know, like for me, again, a big thing is, you know, I, I come from a field background. I will always think of myself as a field person. You know, it's not about, it's say to put this in like, you know, California, there's 40 million people. Danny Lewis, we had this conversation a million times. I don't care about 40 million people. I, you know, I cared about the t- two to 300,000 people that were persuadable that like maybe were you know voted for Bernie in the primary but maybe voted for Trump or, or or whatever the folks that we had to get back on our team you know that those are the people and you know we just we as managers we as the as the drafters of these strategies had to work a little harder as opposed to say ah you know what we're going to try to talk to a million people nope we're going to try to talk to 50,000 but we're going to do a better job as the targeters to give you the 50,000 that we know we need to talk to and open up that direct dialogue. Because again, for me, like, you know, when I'm writing a campaign plan, um, I I don't care about 80 to 90% of the electorate. You know, some people are never going to vote. Some people are always going to vote for my candidate. Some people will never vote for my candidate. Great. I don't care about you. (laughs) Like you already made your decision. Um, If we can find that vein of new voters to encourage to bring in, that's worthwhile. You know, people that have, have been disenfranchised that say, no one's ever knocked on my door. Let's knock on those doors. Because if we're talking to the same, if we're talking to the same people over and over and over again, again, what are we doing with our resources? We're just wasting them, you know? Um, that's just like a big thing for me, you know, just like, just like right. how we allocate those resources. So it made us be more judicious with yeah. those allocations. There's definitely a benefit, and I think we've we've adopted some of those practices. Uh, you know, I try to be as judicious with with my team, um, and and but we've all we've always done that anyway, right? We grind it out yeah. and we get the work done and all that. But we've always been like, you know, like Jaime on our team, right? Like Jaime has been with us, you know, for for a, a couple of years now. And uh, he does a lot of the back end stuff for us. But you know what? He's dealing with some serious health issues. Yep. And we're always te- we, like, we're always conscious of that. Like, dude, take care of yourself. Take the time. Like, we got you. And and it allows us to continue uh, to work in a space where we know we care about each other. We're taking care of each other and, and then ultimately want to win for each other. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, I think that that's what um, came out of, you know, the Bernie Sanders campaign for us as far as management and how we deal with, with staff and, and all that. So, so that was, that was definitely a positive thing, positive outcome from that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a colleague um, that I've known for several years that was in a situation where they were forced to just take a step back from the campaign that they were working on. And, and yeah, that just, that prevented it, you know, they weren't feeling all that well. So they went to, um, 
see a doctor, got checked out, turns out they had cancer. And had they not gotten checked out, don't know if they'd be with us right now. You know, wow. and it's just one of those things where it's just like, God, yeah. Sometimes, you know, we're all adults, <laughs> adult-ish. Um, <laughs> I pass for adult. Um, but, uh, you know, like, like we, sometimes we just need that reminder that, hey, this is important stuff. Call your mom, you know. Like, like go home and see your siblings. Go, you know, go, go walk your dog, you know. Yeah. Go watch a movie and chill out. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, and sometimes we need someone above us to say that. It's funny you say that. I literally just got an email. So, you know, I'm with, with SEIU 2015. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and literally got an email from the president that said, basically, y'all have been working hard. This is going to be amazing regardless of the outcomes. Everybody takes the day off on Wednesday. That's great. And I was like, wow. Yeah, it is great. And it just shows you, you know, the kind of organization that 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 you know that that this is and we should all strive for stuff like that yeah well it's about care like like you, you know living our values we say we care about people you know we're the party and certainly we worked on behalf of a candidate with solid plans on how to expand medicare uh and actually provide real relief to working families you know and but then when you can't turn around and 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 ignore your workers and exploit your own campaign team while you go out there. I mean, just the hypocrisy of it. And again, that's one of those things as a campaign operative, we've all kind of lived with. I mean, I've had, I've had stretches where I, I didn't have health insurance, you know, and sort of one of those things I'm, I'm a, I'm a stupid man. So, you know, like we'll go a couple years without health insurance or, or however long I went, I'm a little embarrassed to say how long I went without <laughs> proper health care and certainly a long time without dental. Um, those chickens come home to roost, uh, as I, as I, after I've had my second emergency root canal and, uh, you know, you just get, you just got to take care of yourself. And, and honestly, uh, I've been very fortunate that, um, despite really playing uh, fast and loose with some of those with, with my health, uh, I haven't, you know, I, I haven't had a major illness, but, um, I am, I am the exception, not the rule, you know, and yeah. it's just like, you got to take, you know, and again, like, I, I've spilled my blood for, for very left of center Democratic candidates. And, you know, sometimes I get my bonus check and that's it. You know, see you later, pal. And, you know, it's uh, it's it just was nice to be a part of a, it's nice to be a part of a movement because it sure ain't over. But it's nice to be a part of a movement that actually lives our values. Yeah. So, well, we were on a campaign that was trying to uh, make better or create the social safety net for folks. And it didn't turn out the way we wanted. Can you unpack a little bit about your observations on um, Bernie 2020? I mean, from our point of view, I mean, and we're not flexing. I mean, the Democrats consolidated around Biden. They closed the gap in California, but I feel that uh, collectively with all pistons running, you know, from uh, media field, uh, you know, direct mail, etc. cetera, uh, we were able to stave off, you know, that invasion and get a win for Bernie Sanders. Uh, so what are your observations? You know, if you can tell us a little bit about what you think of Bernie 2020, you know, overall. Yeah. I mean, I think overall we ran a very organized and coordinated campaign. Um, you know, as, like I was saying before, a lot of national campaigns are just like, just, this cacophony of noise and disorganization. And you, you don't even know how these people like get out of bed and put pants on in the morning, um, let alone like run the government or run a national campaign. But so I, I think we did a lot of things right. You know, um, clearly we didn't get the nomination. So, you know, you have to be critical. Um, I've always found that I've learned more when I've lost. Um, so, uh, you know, and a lot of times I cherish those losses. I mean, this was a, this was a close, tough type victory. I mean, the way this thing really went down, you know, um, we didn't get the result in South Carolina that we were anticipating. Um, Super Tuesday was painted as an abject failure for us by, by certain, in certain circles, which I didn't think was accurate. I think we, we held our own. We did all right. And certainly, you know, we put a lot of resources into California and, and you delivered. Um, you know, you brought it home in a, in a significant way, but then, you know, you got to remember that within a week, you know, uh, COVID hits, we go on lockdown. And I think it was just like, sort of like, um, 
Oh, just like a perfect storm uh, of different things. Yeah, the, the 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 leader, you know, folks coalesced around Biden. Um, Warren doesn't drop out initially. Um, doesn't endorse Sanders. Um, you know, to a degree that hurt. You know, um, organizing could always be better. You know, um, it, I think we did a lot of really great things. I think we had a lot of really great programs within the organizing department. Um, but you know, uh, you can always hit more doors. You can always call more people. Would that have changed it? No, uh, I don't think so. Um, I think it was more like just like a death of a thousand cuts in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we were also the front runner for a fair portion of the campaign and all the, all the cannons were pointed at us. Um, and the Senator to his, um, uh, you know, just to speak as highly of him as I can, like to his, to his, um, to speak of his character, just withheld it, sustained it, um, returned it when he needed to. But, um, you know, he himself ran a very, you know, uh, a very disciplined, uh, calm strategy and maintained that. So, you know, I think we did a lot of things right, you know, um, and, and that's what I try to focus on, you know, from this, we were talking a little bit before the conversation was talking about like, you know, where, where this leads to after this and the roots that we've germinated, you know, uh, when I was the Minnesota state director in 2016, uh, there's a significant Somali community in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, and there was a woman running for a state representative by the name of Ilhan Omar. And she expressed interest in our campaign. We had her speak at a couple of our rallies. We had her, you know, but she was a state rep candidate. She wasn't even a state representative at the time. So, you know, we had her do some stuff. She was in the office. She was helpful. Uh, and now she's like a legend. And um, I certainly am not taking any credit for that. I just want to mention the Congresswoman because I'd like to say that the campaign uh, had something to do with her ascendance to the United States House of Representatives. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'd like to focus on, on the things we did right. You know, um, yeah, we could have done, we could have done, you could always do a little bit more, you know, but I'm, pr I'm really proud of the work that we all did together as a family. Absolutely, man. That's that's the other thing that came, we came out of that campaign with uh, a, a lot of good friendships, a lot of new, uh, exciting relationships, um, you know, for future fights and, and future struggles. And that, you know, that's I don't know if the other side gets that. I, you know, I don't know if, you know, when they're all, you know, talking about the things they talk about, <laughs> like, I don't, do they, do they talk about that? Do they, are, are they sitting down at, you know, you know, almost 10 o'clock Pacific standard time and, and say to each other, like, we're going to continue to fight for those families that are struggling. We're going to go, we're going to go fight for those families that, you know, need a, need, need us to to level the playing field so they because they work so hard and hopefully you know they can get ahead in america i mean do they do they even like i don't know if i i i i've never heard any of them say stuff like that even the ones that are my friends or the ones that i that are my acquaintances right and yeah. that is what i feel is the the biggest difference about you know they used to call us uh what do they call us in the 90s and 2000s, uh, bleeding heart liberals. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's an old term. They don't know what it uses anymore. But I like when I figured, when I started doing my advocacy work, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. You can call me that because yeah. I do care about others. Right. And, and, I can, and I love Bernie's, right? Like on the Bernie campaign, the slogan was um, fight for someone you don't know. Right. Like, that just, that sums it up. That sums up a lot of our work. And, and, and you know, you mentioned the, the 90s and, and 2000s being called that. You know, I mean, this was really a program that was put in place back in the 60s, back Crazy. even the New Deal, where it was, they were demonizing because like these government programs were helping people instead of saying, uh, enriching people that already, you know, that were already rich. I mean, we exactly. see that now, you know, like, um, anytime there's a budgetary shortfall federally, you know, the first things to go are, are programs that help people, you know, or, or programs for the benefit of everyone like PBS, like Meals on Wheels, like really Meals on Wheels is bankrupting the federal government. Like we spend nearly 60% of non-discretionary funds at the, at the federal budget 
of the federal budget on defense contractors, but but we're going to cut we're going to cut this program that's a, a half of a percent in the federal budget. Like, come on, like, you know, and so for me, I, I think it's, there's been a narrative that's built that is very comforting to a lot of people. This idea of the bootstraps, the idea of like, I, I got mine by working hard. No one did anything for me. Um, despite my Pell grants and my, my Stafford loans and all these other government programs that I may have benefited from. Um, uh, or, or my, my parents were in the union and I had healthcare until I was 25 because of it, you know, so they forget that part. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think in a way it's, um, it's greed and it's selfishness. And so I think that they do, Danny, I think they have those conversations, but, but that messaging now is so pervasive. Like, like I'm from New York and we used to have what were called Rockefeller Republicans, right? Like, Hey, I love social programs, very socially progressive, but ultimately like, you know, let, let, let's sort of cap spending federally on these programs. And a lot of those guys in the, in the fifties and sixties, um, you know, your Nelson Rockefellers made huge investments in public education and didn't like, um, defense spending. Right. Like, like, so in a lot like they'd probably be Democrats now. Um, which I always hate yeah. when people say that, but, um, <laughs> but, but no, but like, but like, it's, it's true, right? Like, like they're, yeah. So true. So true. And, and we have to acknowledge that because the democratic party of today isn't the democratic party of a hundred years ago No, or, or, or vice versa, the Republican party, right? Like, <clears throat> you know, right. and, and, and that's, and that's okay. Like some people want to throw that at me sometimes when I'm like, you know, we're fighting for social justice, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, well, you're the Democratic Party who supported slavery or was, oh. you know, anti-abolition or whatever. And I'm like, that's not even the point. The, right. the fact is that these are systems that are made, that are man-made uh, by broken men mostly men, but men and women. Um, and of course they're going to be broken and we have to fix them and we have to continue to constantly look at what's wrong and what doesn't fit anymore and evolve. And change. And, exactly. And, exactly. and change. And we have, and that, that is the thing. And the party has evolved and you know, it, it's still not where a lot of us would like to see it. Um, right. Going in the right direction to a degree, but you know, the, but that's up to us to change it. And, 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 you know, uh, be the change that we want to see, you know, and what are we doing? And that's why, you know, your work is so invaluable. And Lewis, what you're speaking about before that work at the, at the work at that level, at the, the municipal city uh, county level is so important because a, it, it's more real, it's more tangible. I mean, that's, that's why I like working on those types of campaigns because like you actually get to know your electorate um, as a, as a consultant or as a campaign manager. Um, but then also like, you can see you have a better sense in real time of like what, what, not just the strategy, but like what tactics work, you know, part of the problem when you're working on a national campaign is try as you might, you can't have different programs for different, even areas of the, of the country, you know? So like the program that we're running in Minnesota can't be the same program we're running in Iowa. Well, they're right next door to each other. Yeah. Well, Minnesota is a, now it's a primary state and Iowa is a caucus state. It's also Iowa. So they just expect a little bit, you know, it's the first in the nation uh, to, to participate. Um, you know, it's the first caucus. We all know New Hampshire is the first to vote uh, the differences between an actual election and a caucus. So anyway, um, so yeah, if we want to change it, no one's going to change it for us. You know, um, absolutely. What's that adage? If you're not at, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good one. It's up to, it's up to like us to be at the table. I like the one. It's a, a somewhat related. If you're a, a step on, you're you sit at a poker table and you're looking for the dumbass at the table and you can't find them, it's usually you. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly related to it, but it's a it's a little same it, it, that I. Yeah, it's close. The it's sentiment's close. the same. Yeah. <laughs> so that brings us to you know as as, as you know as we uh, get toward the, the end of our conversation a little bit, but what? How do you see? Are you a little anxious about tomorrow? Number one, are we going to see a peaceful transition? If not, what are we going to do? And then this is a multi-layered question. 2022, um, as Bernie Sanders says, um, 100 days um, for Democrats to move in, a, in a, a certain direction. And as Jeff Weaver said to us earlier today, we talked to Jeff where he said um, they have some promises that they have to keep. 
Um, and, uh, and we might need to start talking about how we would handle that um, in 2022. Uh, what are your thoughts about this general election um, and, uh, and moving forward? So um, I am, I'm always anxious before an election. Um, I mean, I think 2016 proved why you can never take anything for granted. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm anxious, but I feel as though we are in a very good position. Um, and so I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, will there be a peaceful transition should Joe Biden win the presidency? Um, I believe in the promise of America. I believe in the Constitution. Um, I hope so. I believe that we will, not because I've seen anything that indicates that we will, but I do think that there's enough stop gaps in place and the founders uh, thought enough about that process and it has been interpreted enough over the years that there is enough uh, legal precedent to make sure that might not be peaceful uh, there'll probably be demonstrations and rallies. I mean, we're seeing, you know, uh, Trump supporters now blocking streets in New York and New Jersey sort of haphazardly, um, you know, maybe in like some, some type of intimidation or pre-protest. So, you know, but the funny thing is, um, you know, I, I, my neighborhood wasn't always the safest, you know, and I definitely like to hang out in some rougher neighborhoods or, you know, just some folks that uh, might be willing to take advantage of, maybe even call them bullies. Um, you know, the best thing to do with a bully is just stare them right down and stand up to them. And, you know, the type of people that would, would have that civil unrest, unlike what we saw with the Black Lives Matter demonstration where people were taking to the streets to express their frustration over the systemic racism that has gripped this country for over 400 years, um, really even before when, 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 when the, the first, um, colonizers landed in, in this, uh, in this part of the world. Um, uh, I, I think folks, if they're going to try to make trouble, I think, um, you know, just standing up to them and saying like, this is not acceptable. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that that would be enough because, you know, a lot of times that's what a bully responds to is, is having it put right back in their faces. Um, in a nonviolent way, I'm certainly not advocating anything other than peaceful protests. Um, so as far as holding the Democratic Party and candidates that we're about to hopefully get elected to these offices, we should hold everyone accountable. Um, and when any elected official presents something and it's not the truth or it's not for the good of their constituency, uh, regardless of who they are, they should be held accountable. So, um, you know, that, you know, like as much as I'm a Democrat and, and I've spent my, you know, my entire career, the better part now of my life, uh, fighting against Republicans, fighting on behalf of the things I believe in, people or candidates I believe in, causes I believe in, um, you know, if we see capitulation from the Democrats, if we see an, un, an inability to move the nation in a better direction, yeah, I think so. And does that include primaries? I mean, that's democracy. You know, like I, I know a lot of people wring their hands over, over that, but, you know, really that's just people in power wanting to maintain their power. And look, uh, you know, to the victor go the spoils. And so I want, part of me appreciates it. Part of me has been part of that power dynamic. Um, you know, always trying to like do the right thing and be good and, and, and be held accountable um, and be answerable to people. Um, but then also, yeah, if, if, if we get folks elected and they just turn around and sell us out, yeah, um, we have an opportunity in a redistricting year, uh, to really make a lot of noise. And, and again, I, I brought up Congresswoman Ilhan, you know, there's Congresswoman AOC, there's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Congresswoman, um, uh, <laughs> Ayana, Ayana? Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry. Ayana I just, you know, I'm so terrified I'm going to screw her name up and, and I don't want to <laughs> offend her. I'm just, you know, maybe, maybe you guys can edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, yeah, Ayana Presley, correct? Were you, were you, were you referring well, I was to just it? joking. I mean, if you can't oh. do it, great, but, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just like someone, like she, she had the thing where someone called like, like, like I don't even remember who it was. Like Paul Ryan called her AOC, and she's like, you know, I'm Congresswoman uh, Ocasio Cortez. Did I get it right? Yeah. So again, I was just sorry. I got nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, I mean, the other thing about that is, and and I'll you know, so I can I'll close that 
portion of the conversation is, you know, sometimes we we have to take things a little lighter. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much there's so much pressure to be PC. There's so much pressure to always say the right thing. Um, and, and that, I, I think sometimes that turns off like, like, look, my brother's a 20-year, 20, 20 I'm going to say over 20 years now, veteran teacher, right? And he's not real. he's like never really been into politics. He always votes, he listens, will debate some issues here and there, but, but he's really not into politics. And and it just irks him that like I'm always trying to be, or my sister who's also like involved, uh, try to be as PC as possible, right? Or or correct, or you know, like if someone chops up my name, I, I honestly I don't like I, it doesn't bother me that much. And I think sometimes we just have to take things a little, just a little bit, a little bit lighter. Yeah, and I agree with that point. But you know, part of that too is also. Um, when folks talk about politics or, or things that matter to them, you know, you know, I've been in those spaces where, yeah, my, like, it's not my family's favorite topic and I'm definitely um, more left of center than most of my siblings um, and every, you know, and I'm certainly not shy about that, but, you know, normalizing those conversations is actually how we have a dialogue, you know, yeah. and actually like we were talking before, like a, but a respectful dialogue where we're actually exchanging ideas. Here's what I think. I'm going to listen to what you think. Let's talk about that, the differences, the similarities. Uh, and look, and if we can't get to a place, you know, but we, it should always be respectful and yeah. productive, you know, like, uh, I mean, part of our problem is like, you know, we're of this, we're the last of the generation that there was a little bit of that when we were kids, but like, you know, people coming up now, 20, 30 years old, grew up, growing up watching Crossfire and just people just yelling at each other. You know, you, you turn on any one of these shows and, you know, I don't, I don't even watch them anymore. You know, like, um, just any of them really. Um, cause all people do is just sit there and yell at each other, you know? And, and it's like, what do we, again, what are we doing here? Like, this isn't, this isn't advancing a, a concept and, and trying to persuade people to your perspective. You're just yelling. You're just yeah. like, probably just trying to get a book deal. What, what then would you say to the next generation involved or not involved? What would you say to them? How do we how do we engage them to help move these needles that we're talking about? I, I am I've always referred to myself as a pragmatic progressive, um, and you know, being true to your values and the things that motivate you, while also looking for opportunities to advance the needle. Um, and sometimes that means working for someone uh, or a candidate or a campaign that you don't fully agree with. Um, but you know that 80%, 50% of what you want is more than nothing. You know, we have right now an administration that is giving us nothing where people are dying needlessly. So, you know, what I would say to say uh, members of our coalition from last time that didn't support Secretary Clinton, like, you know, um, this is why sometimes you have to say, well, there's a bunch of stuff I disagree with. We're just going to hold these folks accountable and we'll fix it moving forward. It's a progression, you know, and, and to have that level of understanding. So I know sometimes people get frustrated. They see what they feel is like this establishment, like this monolithic thing role, you know, barely even moving forward. And trust me, I know I, I you know, I, I was talking earlier about the Erie County Democratic Party, how I, no one would call me back for a free internship. Um, uh, you know, just don't, don't lose hope, find a way, be like water, you know, just keep, keep at it. If you're, if you're passionate about this, find a way, do not take no for an answer, you know, always be respectful. Um, but, uh, and understand that other people have their perspective and where they're coming from trying to meet them there, but you know, don't stop. And then Danny, it's our responsibility to folks like us who've been around for a while when we meet those folks, uh, you know, to, to provide them the sandbox to play in, to learn on what they're doing. Uh, I, I often like, uh, uh, not to misquote, the Wu-Tang Clan, but um, my son, one time my son Hunter was watching the 36 Chambers, I think that's what it is, or something like that. And at the end of it, I was just listening to it in the background. At the end of it, I, I hear the guy say, so apparently the 36 Chambers are all these chambers that you have to go through of training, of evolution. And then, so his, his 
his the board he was standing in front of a board which is basically the masters and he completed the 35th chamber which was his graduation day and they said now what are you going to do? And he says, I propose a 36 chamber. And they said, how dare you? Like they're the establishment. What is that? He said, that's training everyone in the world, you know, the, the working class, the farmers, what I just learned here. So I think of what we do is the 36 chamber, you know, it's, uh, it's to pass it down. It's uh, like each one teach one. Um, and then hopefully that's how we can, uh, we can build not only capacity for campaigns, but, for, but for capacity, for those regular folks when they're ready to jump on board. So that's how I look at it. And make room for them. And make room for them. Exactly. You know, cause, cause there's, we need all the, we need all the voices, you know, and it can't just be, you know, again, I'm reminded of some of the other conversations you guys have had, like, you know, as a, as a Bernie bro, as a, as a woke white guy, um, you know, it's incumbent upon me to always be cognizant of my privilege and to look around the room and make sure that it's not dominated by people that look exactly like me. You know, not to say I can't be in the room. I should be in the room, but a lot of other people should be there, too. Well, Danny, Absolutely. he's according to Sam Sukatan, uh, based on your background, based on the struggles of your life and your value system uh, and me, we're coded Chicano. <laughs> That's what Sam said. We're coded Chicano. Hey, we always appreciate uh the woke white dude in the room brother so thanks. thanks thanks for thanks for coming on thanks for sharing with us your story and um you know i don't we don't know where this is this where this podcast will lay for years and years and years to come but uh but it's on uh and it's recorded and uh we appreciate you man as soon as it's live, I'm going to send it to all my family. So you'll have like <laughs> 20 more listeners. <laughs> uh, exactly. Well, thank you. No, tomorrow, uh, by, by this evening, it should be, it should be ready to go. And uh, like uh, we like to say is the ruckus is a people powered podcast. And uh, if you don't tell your story, no one will. That's right. All right. Bye-bye. All right. See you guys. Thank you again. Take care. Well.